0: This is One Heat Minute.
1: Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. look like gang bangers, working the local 7-Eleven you. Robbery, homicides, take care. Give me all you got! This and- in- Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm
0: trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's L.A. crime opus, Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to One Heat Minute. A very special One Heat Minute, in fact. And today I'm joined by a man who I thought we almost, just by a hair, missed each other before the show ended proper so it almost would have been this man as the second last episode and then michael mann as the final one he is such a great supporter of the show was so kind to uh talk about what the work that we've done and called all man acolytes to us he is an oscar-winning best director he's the one of the most fascinating and just true champions of all cinema he described heat himself as a film that is part of the medium and it is my distinct pleasure to talk today to Guillermo del Toro welcome to one Heat Minute, sir good morning how are you <laughs> oh man I'm cr- I'm I'm just completely stoked to talk to you um, again in person thank you so much for your su- generosity and your support um, around everything that we did with one heat minute um, I just you know let's just start with you being a man acolyte a man who's uh feels like people like George Miller and Michael Mann are you know so important to the medium and they make such bold choices um uh tell me about your love of Michael Mann our shared love in fact of Michael Mann
1: well you know I think uh the first thing is uh, is very rare that somebody uh has a voice as distinctive, you know, that when people talk about auteurs, uh, I always think that the notion of auteur uh, really can be applied to people that control, that really have a, a, a very strong control of all parts of the medium mm. you know, that, that can write, produce, direct, even if they don't do it all at once. Uh, or they do it in shaping the material like Hitchcock did in his time, you know? Um, but I think uh, you can talk about Claire Denis, you can talk about uh, Truffaut, you can talk about Fellini, you can talk about anybody. And Man is as distinctive as any of these auteurs. I mean, you it takes a few seconds to know you're in a Michael Mann movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He has influenced countless of uh, TV shows and films in the genre, outside the genre, like, uh, I think, Chris Nolan's uh, creation of uh, Batman is, uh, reinvention of Batman is impossible to imagine without Michael Mann interceding uh, for a Gotham City that is much more edgy and much more gritty uh, in in the audiovisual sense. I think that uh, nobody, that loves cinema and that wants to direct uh, will ignore many, not one, but many sequences in romance films. I mean, everybody doing an action scene has to study uh, the heist and, you know, the bank robbery scene and heat. Uh, Everybody studying character shaping on a movie can study thief. Uh, Everybody trying to uh, approach a classic a uh, piece of material like Last of the Mohicans should approach that movie because it's a, how to make uh, a material that is from another period feel alive and now, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, I think uh, aside from admiring him uh, formally and in the narrative way, I also love him as a person. He has been uh, a director that has always supported uh, openly and from the beginning, uh, uh, our careers, Alfonso, Alejandro, myself, in different ways. When we started coming to Hollywood, uh, when we came here in the 90s, it was a very different thing. And uh, Michael has always been, uh, we call him Uncle Mike, because <laughs> 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 he is like a very avuncular with us, uh, very generous. Always generous, always very warm, and he—he he has, um, I mean, he—the he, way he shapes the material uh, is completely unique. Yes. Uh, you know, I—I've I, I've had the pleasure of sharing many dinners and many social occasions with him. We always invariably end up talking about his movies, and—and <laughs> and I try to fish for influences like we discussed Jean-Pierre Melville and yeah uh, and and I talk about westerns and uh, you know he he's not shaped uh, he's shaped by life and his experience in police work and his experience with the uh, the real criminal element as an almost investigative uh, immersive report so he he is not a guy that Watched a lot of movies, and and basically learned the world through the movies. He learned the world through the world, and in that he is uh, also quite unique. He's he's two-fisted, hard-boiled, uh, humanistic, uh, gritty, uh, pitiless. <laughs> you know, he's is. I think, and and I still intend one day to interview him for a a book or a documentary series, whichever comes first. And we were very much pursuing that when the pandemic hit. Yeah. And then nothing could happen with that. We were, we're, I'm 56. (laughs) He's uh, also of the age where strong as he is, we we didn't want to be in a room talking about anything. uh, For for days. So that's, uh, I mean, but, but again, you can dissect any as you have any minute of his films, and it's a filmmaking lesson.
0: Yeah, it's a it's so great that you talk about Jean Pierre Melville because another huge Man fan and Man acolyte, like Bill Ghibieri, who's a friend of the show, has been on the show many times, um, has asked about Jean Pierre Melville too, and I'm I'm a recent uh, in uh, a recent person to Jean-Pierre Melville as a, to start diving into his work and I started seeing all of this stuff in Mann and even Michael Mann's answer about Melville publicly has been I think that Jean-Pierre Melville and I share the same uh, quality in that we both know real criminals so our work if there's any similarities in our work stylistically it's probably because we know real criminals and, and then Uh, We are, we're like sponges for their real activities and their real processes. And that's, that's what comes through in, in both of our work, but um,
1: really, really special, really special quality. But he, but he definitely was uh, in that sense. I mean, you, you have people that can coincide thematically, visually on some stuff, but that you see were birthed quite apart. Mm. I don't think he was a guy that said, Oh, look at what middle Bill is doing. He was doing it. You know, and he was doing it as background work, and then he made it his life work. You know, and uh, <clears throat> the efficiency of his storytelling, which comes from TV and the discipline of TV. Uh, you know, uh, he has he has a very unique. Uh, I, if you if you gave me unlimited funds, unlimited time, and told me you're gonna have to do that that heist scene. <laughs> I would, I would change my name, get a new passport, and leave the country. I would, I would, not, I would not attempt it. I would not, because I mean, I'm, I'm very good at dissecting film. Uh, this is, this is what I did since I was a kid. I, I started to see jump cuts, lens changes, dollies versus cranes, mm. uh, overhead and. So, or, 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 you know the camera is underslung or, or overslung on a on a crane. You can do different movements, and I and I used to, you know, just break down a scene and go. Oh, this is the master. This is this is the coverage. I get it. He had a second camera. He had a third camera. She she moved the camera like this. Whatever the director did, I'm pretty good at dissecting. And that scene, I. I, I throw my arms and say, "Okay, fine." I mean, it, it, because when you break down, I, I and I'm, I'm good at breaking down effects, and I'm very good at breaking down logistics, and that's that is just. I mean, that is uh, uh, that is uh, an invasion during wartime. That that scene, absolutely, it's like planning a disemb- disembarking uh, on, on an enemy territory with troops. I I, I and uh, you know when when I, I remember, for example, um, Alejandro and I were trying to break down the scene of the mauling of the bear on uh, Revenant. Yes, way way many many months in pre-production, and Alejandro said, and then uh, and we would say, well, the bear now attacks Leo, and uh, and now you're going to have to change the clothes, put a couple of injuries. And then the bear um, does this, and then you have to change the clothes again to more bloodied. Yeah. And 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 then and I said, and this is where you cut. And Alejandro would say, No, 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 I'm gonna keep going. I said, Alejandro, you you're crazy. <laughs> you, cannot, you cannot keep going. And he says, No, I'm going to. Alejandro, you're gonna have to go through hair, makeup, blood. I mean, you know, it's not about the camera and the actors. It's about all the elements that make the scene flow. Uh, and and Alejandro said, "No, I'm not gonna cut until they until they roll into the ravine." And I said, you, you, "Look, you're you're very stubborn. You're very crazy. <laughs> you're not gonna do it." But I leave it at that. And of course he didn't cut. And of course he did the scene that way. And and when you see the heist, uh, and this is why it's important to compare that that bank robbing scene with the and. Uh, with the first, uh, the first scene where they they take the armored truck, uh, you know, and and it's such a staggering. Uh, the the elements are staggering. You have to break the bullets in the cars. He's using squibs. He's using uh, cannons to break the windows. He needs to change the car for take two. I mean, yeah. this is this is what logistically when you explain to someone how a movie is really shot. And, and how you're, you're dealing with wardrobe change, prop change, card change. And I always use an example. I say, uh, you see somebody war- walking on pristine snow in a movie for the first time. That's a simple thing, right? Except when you think take two means somebody has to make the scene, the snow pristine again. Yes. For take two. And then for take three. And then for take four. And then the crane has to be in the right position. The focus puller needs to be right. The actor needs to be in the moment. This is just walking on the snow. Yes. Uh, imagine, I always say, imagine the logistics of that scene. Take two. Take two of any moment. <laughs> that scene is insane.
0: And and what's more insane is you pile on the elements. And then one of my favorite moments one of my favorite moments in the entire film, one of my favorite moments is just there is a breath that Mr. Man takes when you see after the explosion of all of the, all of the windscreens happen. And there's a, there's a, a, like a cellophane flag from the little finance that falls, it just comes down and his instinct to just let it fall in that moment. And the thing that I I think is comes to greater appreciation over time. And even talking to you now is what take was that on? Yeah. Of w- course. W- was that on take 11 and you're like, or oh, was that take 13? It, who knows what take that was on, but it's like to keep going to go something, not quite here yet. And then eventually to make that all happen. And how many more cars you got to change out? What is
1: 11 or 12 cars in a row in, in Net, any given it, moment as well. It's like uh, when, when we were talking, we were talking about his preparation, Uh, for Collateral you know Mm -hmm. another great movie that I admire and and you know he he told me that uh, you know he had Tom Cruise uh, dressed as a delivery messenger uh, going into offices trying to not be recognized trying to become this transparent gray being you know that is invisible to the eye and uh, and 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 I thought, who would have who would have thought about doing like that? <laughs> who, you know, who has uh, Tom Cruise delivering UPS or FedEx or whatever they chose? You know, uh, and, but but it was it was very smart. Was like, and we talk about the sort of quote-unquote car chase element of the canoe chase on uh, Last of the Mohicans. How to shoot a canoe chase as if it's a high-speed car chase in a freeway?
0: Yes, you know.
1: And and he and, and he is uh, technically fascinating to me. Uh, if, if we were going to talk about the opening heist, you yes. know, the the armored truck heist. The the is is in, intrinsic to the movie. I think I think I think the whole opening takes the first uh, ten or fifteen minutes of the movie. I, it, it takes a good chunk of the opening, yeah, and it's and it's uh, really great how he knows you're working as an audience. He doesn't give you the planning
0: scene.
1: No, he doesn't. He never has somebody extending a map and putting a cigarette lighter and a couple of uh, peanuts and say mm-hmm. they're gonna be over here. We're gonna come from nothing. He says, "Look, I'm gonna keep it diagrammatic."
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: meaning he is gonna show you vectors. Yes. Of action vectors of action, and it's up to you, the audience, to put it together. And what he starts doing, if you if you go back and watch the scene. Uh, And in in fact, the entire opening is he has, uh, he decides to open with uh, very much, occasionally he goes to wider lenses, but he starts very much with long lenses. Yes. Isolating each individual. If they're not part of a group, uh, you know, the Nero is crossing um, the hospital, uh, coming down the steps uh, in a very long lens or a long lens. Uh, things are crossing in front of him, but he's isolated. Is an individual. Then, you know, Val Kilmer, uh, longer, long lens, wider lens. You get the sense of everything. But he is not part of a gang. You don't see him connect with De Niro. You see each of the characters. You know, Wayne Grove coming out of the restaurant, uh, going into the truck, and finally isolation. And then two. He comes with together with Tom Sizemore. That's one plus one. That's two, yeah, yeah. and then the the group comes together only at the moment of the heist. You know, there's that glorious low shot on a on a dolly. You know, of yes. uh, facing the sky. You know, and the, and the dolly, which you can see if you when you disassemble the scene. Yes, you can see that the dolly went from left to right, right to left, back and forth during the whole. He mastered the scene in that in that shot. Uh, and and and, uh, and finally you see the group together and they work with absolute synchronicity. You know, the, the, they say three minutes. Uh, the, I think the scene from then on takes about two and a half minutes. Yes. You no, know, it's not exactly three minutes, but he says three minutes to the police being here. And it's roughly three minutes for the police to arrive at the scene. It's 2.30, something like that, 2.35. And 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 I, number one, I'm glad is close to that, but I'm also glad he's not slavish to it. He doesn't say, "Oh, well, I'm gonna." He doesn't make it an exercise. Uh, no, the there's, there's there's not a
0: countdown timer. It's not 24. In that moment, I think what's beautiful is like he's like um, Neil yells over his shoulder, De Niro is like, "80 seconds left," yes. and in that moment, you still get that, you know. And this is where I feel like. It's the perfect, we talked about synchronicity. I think it's the perfect synchronicity of taste because the more I watch that scene, the more it feels almost like a fable. You've got this giant green truck that's like a dragon that comes out and smashes something. And you've got these wraiths with their masks, these empty faces. And there's nothing more haunting and terrifying than Wayne Grow in that moment as they sort of, again, another inhalation in the movie where man takes a breath and stares into this chasm his eyes, there's just yeah,
1: black holes, literally, black holes, and it's not accidental. No, no, you can see, I mean, you can see everybody's eyes except uh, Wayne Gross, except Gross, but uh, also the complete dazed the innocence of the of the armor truck guard. You know, wow. like, you can see he's a blank, yes, and uh, and uh, you know, it's uh. I've always been fascinated by robbery. I, I, I love the mechanics of it. I, I jokingly have said that if I hadn't been a director, I would have been James Cannon thief with a, much, a lot more <laughs> fat content, you know, but 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 it's because planning it is, uh, is, you know, it's actually fascinating, you know, when you go into the minute of the drills and the uh, gauge of the steel and the, you know, the. Uh, the material tension of the safe, blah, blah, blah. But, but what is great about this is uh, they know what they're going to get. They, they, they plan the explosive perfectly, but the human factor, you know, both on the, on both sides, the fact that the, the, the guys are deaf yes. momentarily from the explosion. The fact that Wangro is a, it's it's like a wild card. Yes. To that degree. All those are the things that without that, uh it's very simple. It's, it's what some screenplay writers call the inciting incident, right? Yes. <clears throat> without that there would be no movie. If if Wangro had held the trigger, uh they would have it would have been uh, not a homicide, they would have gotten al Pacino. Yeah. Uh, the insurance would have paid the police would have investigated reasonably but not that intensely and and the beauty of it is uh, when when later they lose wenger another fascinating scene you know when they lose him in the parking lot Mm. uh you know that's the sword of damocles hanging over their head for the rest of the movie for the rest of the movie And, and and i even fantasize i always fantasize about an alternate ending. both with George Miller and Michael Mann. I, 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 I had lunch with George and I was saying, uh, as much as I love Fury Road, I said, wouldn't it be great if Tom Hardy goes through the movie, you think he's Max, nobody calls him by his name, you know, because yeah. nobody knows it. And then you just uh, come to the end and Furiosa, uh, you, know, you don't know her name. But he's saying, come on, hold on, stay with me. And he says, What is your name? And she says, My name's Max. Yeah. And I realize you've been watching her story. Like she is the new Max. And 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 he, he just took a sip of coffee and said, Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't I don't care about your fan fan theories del Toro, you know. And with Michael Mann, I always think they're in the they're in the runway at the airport. Oh. And uh, Pacino has him on his side, and he gets a call from his unit saying there is a dead woman in the room. This guy is the the killer, and Pacino holds his side down and lets De Niro go. That's <laughs> of course, <okay>. that that's <laughs> my that's my fan fiction. <laughs> right,
0: we've we've had the fan fiction on this show so many times because so many guests were so drawn to the tunnel scene, and that's another scene in this film that is oh. so incredible. Um, Matt Zoller-Zeitz was on the show and he was like, Blake, it's literally myopia. It's literally tunnel vision. It's like some of those great things that phenomenal directors get away with where like the thematics of the movie are operating on such a level that uh, with the real, t- real hyper-reality of the movie that it just works, again, in perfect alignment. And I remember watching that scene and it's that you love a movie so much, you've watched it so many times. And i watched De Niro's eyes and I just wish for Neil in that moment, please, please don't get off this freeway. Please stay on this road and get out of here. And I think that's that's a magical quality to Michael Mann's movies to make us so deeply emotionally invested in guys who we know aren't necessarily good people. They're bad but guys.
1: That is because I think uh, uh, you know as much as he may do it uh, consciously or not or uh he's finally he is at the end of the day he's shooting Westerns. yes no and or he or or the the ethics and yes. the cosmology of westerns permeates the movies because these are people that exist within the laws in the same way that marshals and outlaws exist within the laws in a western but at the end of the day is uh, the the in, inevitable the, the the inevitability of their choices, quote unquote, by the drive, uh, is very primal, yes. very primal, very, very much uh, a, a, a manifest, an individual manifest destiny yes. of whether you want it or not, you know, your stars align this way, you know, because... In theory, uh, look. It, it, it is said you have to be able to leave everything behind in the drop of a hat, right? Yes. Except rage. Except <laughs> I can leave behind a house, a love, money, but revenge. That motherfucker. <laughs> I'm not gonna leave him alive, you know. And that, that is that is 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 beyond principle and is beyond is, you know, is beyond living by the code is, uh, there's a stronger code about, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in that says, this you will not do, you know, I, I, and, and you know, it comes from, from ethics that are not, quite frankly, they, they are not normal uh, or easy to absorb, except in a mythic way. Yes. Uh, or or if you've lived, uh, a life of uh, crime, I suppose. I mean, I I was talking to William Dafoe about uh, Animal Factory, which I love. I love that movie in the way, you know. Uh, overdue,
0: he, overdue for a rewatch of that. Oh my God, what
1: a man. I, I watch it often, and and uh, you know, he, we were talking about Eddie Bunker and Danny Trejo, who who did yeah. time, both of them, right? Yeah. And and William said their ethics inside the walls. Uh, are very different from the ethics they they would have uh, dealing in the real world. Yes, and some people are unable to adjust again, which is very well known. This called institutionalization and all that. Yeah. But but he was saying the ethics are so strong inside, and 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 you can see in this movie, they can shoot a security guard just because of why leave him alive, which is a very mechanical thing, horrible, despicable thing to do, and at the same time. He's not gonna let, let uh, Wingro go free because he betrayed them. So, it's it's impossible to reconcile. <laughs> yeah, and but, but very much a Western.
0: Yeah, I think, um, and I think, like you said, you know, quit your your contemporary, Mister Quentin Tarantino, always loves to say that Westerns are so much more about the time that they're produced. Than the time, yep. ultimately, than the time that they're they're portraying in the period, and I think that's you know you talk about that di- that dynamic with Last of the Mohicans, which is that that is a true contemporary view, like looking at how important the frontier wars were in the context of what ultimately becomes the United States and the plight of Native Americans and, 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 and even like um, foretelling and foreshadowing what would be the, you know, the upcoming revolutionary wars and things like that before, and then eventually the civil war. And I think with man, these landscapes of LA, this West, you know, this, this extreme, this hyper reality, he's found a way to, um, to play these morality tales, but in, in contemporary stages. And I think some filmmakers want to go back to the comfort of like a Western because you can be a bit broader with your themes, but man is like, no, I want to keep the, 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 the more tangible and real, I can make it um, the better. And I think that like, that's reflective in Manhunter and collateral and just Heat and, you know, basically every one of his films.
1: But but I think I think that I think there is a part of uh, there is a very very American essence uh, to the United States that is that tension between being a nation of laws and uh, and and a showdown.
0: Yes. <laughs> with, yeah.
1: with an affront. Yes. You know whatever you may want to call it, and and it comes from the way the country was founded. It was founded by that uh, that clash, that almost uh, paradox. Yes, because it is a paradox. You know, I think I think a paradox is uh, defined as two two forces uh, in in opposite directions of equal strength, right? Yes. And 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 the spirit, the American spirit, is 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 that dichotomy, that paradox, of a land of laws and a land of outlaws. Yes. and and and, and you can argue that both are equally essential and equally passionate in the soul of the country. You know, It's uh, uh, we can talk about uh, the genocide, the slavery, uh, the law of the gone, and at the same time, uh, a, a, a hallow, the hallowed dimension of the founding fathers and the constitution yes. and the letter of the law, blah, blah, blah. blah. And, uh, and I think that's uh, monumental. And, and it, it casts a long, long shadow. What is interesting for me about man is, uh, I I love Los Angeles, I love it with a passion, mm. uh, and uh, I love it as a city. And when people say, "Well, LA, I don't like LA because of this or that," I say, "Which LA?"
0: Yeah, because
1: there are at least a hundred LAs. Yes. You 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 cross uh, uh, in uh, you go to Koreatown, uh, or Beverly Hills. Do you go to Bel Air, or do you go to East LA? Yeah. Do you go to little Tokyo or you go to little Ethiopia? And do you cross Olympic uh, or you don't? You know, yes. it, it, these are completely frontier sized decisions in LA, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's many different cities. And, and Michael Mann is one of those rare LA poets, you know, that, that, that can show you a house in Malibu made of steel and glass, uh, or he can show you a taco stand in Korea town Yes, you know, or or it can show you uh, the the magnificence of an underpass. Yes, you know, Pacino says this is a good place. You know, there's escape routes, <laughs> you know, escape routes there, freeway here, freeway there. Yeah, it's it's like it's it's, it's, it's a scene uh, in a in a in a western. Somebody saying they went through the they took the pass. Yeah, you know, they went <laughs> through the canyon. These canyons of concrete, these canyons of steel. uh, uh, which, uh, again, in collateral, uh, the, the, the the idea that there is no city, I don't think there is any city, in which a car stands for the it and the self. Yes. But in L- but L.A. In L.A., you are your car and your car is you. Yes. And, and an invasion of that car by, by a bad thought, dressed in gray, in a shirt. <laughs> Dark skin food, you know, uh, it's perfect. It, it, it's, it's, it's where the the city comes alive, and and the same way that noir writing, you know, you can clearly, for me, my favorite noir writing is California noir. Yes. You no, know, because because uh, to see beyond the sunshine, to see beyond the the cliche of the Japanese gardener and the and the mansion and the you know it, 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 to. To find all the gritty, r- festering soul of that uh, is fantastic. And, and man does it. He takes you everywhere. Yes. Look, at, look at this movie. This movie takes you everywhere. You're going to go to a place where they uh, dismantle cars, uh, a, a nightclub, uh, a, a pit bull fighting arena, <laughs> and whatever it is. And, and you know he knows these places very well. Yes. This is not a tourist. No. not a narrative tourist. This is this is a guy that is, is hardcore LA. And, and and that happens when you go out with him, by the way. <laughs> if you go out with him. I will not say I will not denounce his watering holes, but you go to his watering holes or his restaurants or his and he says this place was founded in 1920 by so and so. He knows he knows everything.
0: Yeah, I, I remember in in our chat we were talking about Kate Manolini's and he's one of the only people. Uh, which is the the place, the setting for the most famous scene in the movie of obviously De Niro and Pacino facing off, and he's one of the only people I, I I've ever experienced. He was like, I know exactly why that place shut down. It shut down because they were greedy about rent, and this is the. He just knew every single detail about how the rent. He's like, it was extremely successful, and I don't know why the rent went up, and they just got greedy and they, they took down an institution. And he was just so passionate. He knew it. He knew it. He it knew was, every part about it.
1: It was an institution. Yeah. He he was, well, and, and it was a place you went to before the academy screenings. Yes, you know it was. You you would you would meet everybody. I mean I think those places are gone. There there used to be. I mean I've been coming to L.A. all my life since I was a, a very young kid. Uh, we would come uh, on and off every summer, and uh, and I I would uh, explore the city because I I, I wanted to find. the, uh, material for makeup effects or comic book shops or whatever. And I ended up spending a lot of time in the cars. And uh, he, he, there was a time where you had restaurants where you said you can see everybody there, yeah. right? And at certain times, uh, it could be Spago for the posh uh, set or yeah. uh, the, the, the first uh, Wolfgang Pog restaurant on in, in Sunset or the Dome, Le Dome or... And Kate Mantellini was one of those that you, you would run into unexpected uh, luminaries in there. Yeah. And it was a great institution.
0: So talking about this film and these scenes, is, is there any other scenes for you that really pop in this film? I know the high scenes from a, a pure technical standpoint, it's so rich hearing you talk about all those different elements, but I, um, I want to jump to that moment that Wayne Grow disappears because I wanted to just tag onto what you said, which is that is another scene that has a supernatural quality that the more I revisit it when he visits and he becomes this manifestation of the sword of Damocles, as you put it, it's just such a powerful scene for all of its stark reality and, and crisp, you know, Plastic in the back of this boot that he's going to be put away. That moment when he disappears, the fear that's in De Niro's eyes and the way that man frames these, you know, strange trees. It's, yeah, it's, it's I mean, look,
1: this, this movie, this movie is, uh, for me, is, and this is uh, like a home. Yeah. I I live in it. Yeah. And, and how, how often do I visit it? Uh, I, I watch it at least three times a year, at least. Mm-hmm. And every time it's on or accidentally we pass it and we start, we, I watch it until the end. Yes. I remember we were having a dinner, a very important dinner in the Lyon Film Festival. And uh, Michael was introducing the restored uh, version of the film. And I, I, I went to him and said, what is restored? He says, nothing. He says, I color corrected and remixed it a little And I said, oh, okay, we'll we'll watch. (laughs) He says, but it's perceptible. He said, you're going to notice the colors are this or the sound is that. And I I said, okay, I'll I'll watch the first five minutes and then I'll reach you at dinner. And we were going to have a big dinner, everybody in the festival. I stayed for an hour and a half. (laughs) I said, okay, I got to leave. At some point, I got to leave. You know, but this movie, uh, that scene, Let me say to you that uh, one of the special things about Los Angeles, in my opinion, is the night and nightlife. It's not a lonely nightlife like in Nighthawks. Mm. Uh, The LA nightlife is uh, completely permeated by dirty neon, uh, is completely permeated by these impossible architectural oddities. You know, you can have a Spanish stucco, uh, or a, a hacienda style house. And next to it, there's a futuristic uh, 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 or brutalist architecture or a, a, a ship's cafeteria. And it, it's, it, that's why I love LA. It's like a sampler of madness. <laughs> and Kim Morgan says it beautifully. nobody goes crazy quite like the Americans. <laughs> there's a special way in which America goes crazy that fascinates the world. And LA is that LA has that madness and that scene uh, where, you know, I, one of the best shots is that shot from outside where you see Tom Sizemore go to the bar momentarily before Vincent comes in. Yeah. And you know, Oh my God, they're casing the guy, you know, they want to make sure he doesn't escape. You never go to a mob dinner and somebody says, you sit on the front. You go, no, I don't want to sit on the front. Please, you know, you know, you know, you're done. And the same way they, they, and he comes in and he slams his face against the formica table and and, and that beautiful, wonderful, mythic shot of uh, Tom Seismore just looking at the other patron and no, going yeah, like yeah, yeah. sideways look and and you know the other patron's going to fold. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you you know that crime is not happening in a dark alley. It's happening in a, in a populated cafeteria, and these guys don't care. They don't care, and and then they walk through the through the parking lot, and there's that, that wonderful uh, movement, camera movement, when Danny Dry opens the trunk and reveals the plastic lining, and then of course the first time you see it, the uh, Nero looks up at the car, and of course we stop looking down, and when when we discover through him, through him, that Wayne Grove is gone, it's an amazing act of prestidigitation. Yeah. Because Michael Mann, uh, quite literally, uh, made us look over here and and put us in the mind frame of the guy. And then we look back and we go, and this is the way you forget the keys or the wallet. But in this case, they forgot the guy. And it's uh, fantastic. And, 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 and if you watch it again, the way it ends, which is really extraordinary, because uh, he's going to go, uh, he's going to go, I, I, if I remember correctly, he goes to the beach house yes. after this. And I think it's the shot of uh, De Niro putting the gun down on the table, I think. Yes, it is. Uh, but in the middle, there's a shot of De Niro looking, looking after he went under the cars and, never, and then a shot that is maybe his point of view, maybe it isn't, it's just a street shot at night. And rhythmically, this is where movies are like music. You don't have to believe it's a POV. You don't have, you don't know because, and Michael Mann knows it, it's like the the, 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 the way he punctuates things is very peculiar. It's very melodic, uh, very musical. He has a, pre- a sense of precise cutting that makes the audience go, oh, every shot is important. Yes. In the heist of the armor truck, I love the way, I mean, you can, when you shoot action, I have shot action with six cameras. I've shot action with 13 cameras. Yeah. All shooting at the same time, by the way. Uh, and you, you have to be careful that the light works for all 13 you have to be completely certain that they're not gonna see each other. They yes. call it they call it jokingly a Polish shooting squad, <laughs> that, which is the way he shoots uh, Kate Mantellini. Yes, cameras barely out of range, of one one to the other, right, facing yes. each other. Yeah. Two cameras on each side, uh, longer and shorter lens. Blah blah blah. You know. Yeah. So. So when you see the way, when the truck crashes against the armored car and then crashes against the cars in the parking lot, obviously you know that's, that's not a real parking lot. That's probably not even, it was a vacant lot. They made it into a, a car uh, lot. All those cars were paid by production. This is probably one take. Yep. And you know that all the destruction is laid out and then you see the camera that is waiting for the cars from behind, a lateral shot. He laid those cameras perfectly, and he knew what part he was using. I think is rhythmically very clear yes. that he knew he was gonna go from here to here to here, and uh, and he doesn't overdo it. He has a very dry. He do, he doesn't do the virtuoso shot. No, look oh, at that. He doesn't. He he doesn't. He doesn't want to distract you with that. Uh, and and the the parking uh, cafeteria scene with Wangrow is. Strangely dry and almost um, ethereal, you yes. know. You have a sense of a dreaminess to it, uh, and 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 then he ends up with that a shot that is <laughs> even if you were in the editing event, you wouldn't go. That's a great shot. It's it's a shot. Yeah, it's rhythmically right. And then he goes to the beach. You know, is it's, it's, uh, you, you can teach most anything with, uh, with one of his movies. You can teach editing. I always, when, when we talk about Hitchcock, I always say, well, everybody likes the shower scene in Psycho to teach editing. Me, I like to dissect the, uh, the staircase scene at the end of Notorious. Cary mm. Grant is carrying uh, Ingrid Bergman and Hitchcock knows mathematically that he has whatever, 30 steps, 40 steps, Uh, And he's going to keep track because it's an uninterrupted descent from the top to the bottom. And within that, he needs to accommodate a two shot, a POV, a wide shot. So he knows, he he has to know his mathematical filmmaking (laughs) and rhythmically, his rhythmic filmmaking of of superior precision He's not flamboyant, he's not showy. And the same is true of Michael Mann. He, I, I, You remember many, many shots of his movies, many. Yes. You remember, but the main thing you remember is a mood. Yeah. It's a state of mind. There's, an, uh, there's a complete Michael madness uh, that comes with his films. That is the summation of somebody that is not only good with this or good with that, he's good with everything. Yes. Uh, there is a, the, 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 everything is of a piece. If you have a, we were trying to explain tone the other day at a DGA q and And I was saying is a, is a absolute perfect fusion of the material, the acting, the visual and the audio aspects of that includes cinematography, production design, wardrobe design. Nothing is not thought about and discussed. Yes. Is the suit of Tom Cruise and Collateral is one of the greatest pieces of construction. Yes. is ever seen. I mean, it's, it's as good as the Cary Grant suit in North by Northwest. Is yes. that, you know, and it's that multivalent, you know, it's, it's this and it's that and it's this and it's that. Everything. Uh, so, you know, uh, that scene is virtuoso. The scene in the, in the driving. The, the fact train. that, yeah. I mean, they scouted it. It's not like, it's not like they saw the car and, and the car was bouncing on the uneven terrain and they went, oh, wow, we, we screwed up. No, they scouted it. And, and, and Michael Mann, as director, he didn't say, please even the terrain so yeah. the car can <laughs> drive fast. No, he said, let's see the car bounce. Yeah. That, but that's the wisdom, see? Directors make decisions, and decisions shape the material. When, if you are a lesser mind, you watch the car bumping, and you go, uh, uh, "By the day we come here, please have it all even, so the car picks up speed." Right? Then you remove reality, and the decision to leave it in—that's a decision. Yes, that's a decision. And and you watch that scene, and 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 as you say, there's always the eruption the pause for reality yes right for example in the parking lot scene in the cafeteria it's not that the car the police cruiser shows up is that the police cruiser makes a u-turn to chase somebody somebody who, who, so, who knows a lesser director <laughs> would have been perfectly happy with the cruiser just going by and turns the corner or something but he wants to show you a little bit of the zoology <laughs> yeah. or goes and chases a rabbit you know but it was a wolf it was yeah. a wolf it's, it's decision making never casual whether you are good or not your decisions shape the material yes and, 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 and that's why anything he, that's why he, interro- when, he sh- when they shake the detonator for a second before the yeah.
0: one two uh, three
1: and, then and look at it rhythmically <laughs> It's, it's like a, it's like a, it's a musical construction. Yeah. That's in, when, when they go to the driver of the armored car and they do a, a very small, very small, beautiful push in and Dolly, you know, yeah. push on his face as the truck arrives and they don't do a corresponding on the truck. They don't do another on the truck driver. They, no, he just, uh, the truck becomes the character. Uh, that's a decision. Look, here. Here's why I say this. Um, when we did Pacific Rim, I said I don't want people on the street. Yeah. I don't want people on the street because I don't want to think about them. I want everybody on a refuge or you know, because all I want is the character, the robot and the kaiju. Those are the characters. Yes. The street is props. Yes. You know when the when the robot comes dragging the boat. Yes. Uh, and uses it as a baseball bat I don't want to be thinking of the sailors of the boat Yes. i don't want to be thinking of people at their feet because then rhythmically the scene becomes about three things yes like the attack on uh, straw dogs is about three or four things happening simultaneously yes you know so I want one thing and there's a smart decision in going i'm gonna now i'm gonna make that truck a character now I don't, I'm not going to cut to uh, the shifting of the gears or the point of view of the truck. No, that's a decision. It's as important what you leave in as what you omit. And that is easy said, easier said than done. It takes decades to come to the right decision on what to live in and what to omit. This is hard to explain sometimes, but uh, that's what makes his scenes so Amazing the, the 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 omission or, or the inclusion of an everyday detail.
0: Well, I know that you are in the midst of editing uh, your upcoming film, Nightmare Alley,
1: editing and including yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, making these exact decisions. Um yeah. But I just wanted to say thank you so much for no, no, finally pleasure. finally being part of the show because uh, it you know it's a dream for a dream for me to talk to you in any context, but to talk to you about heat, knowing your love for Michael Mann and talk to you on this show, which we just dedicated, you know, a couple of hundred episodes like this, um, dissecting every single moment of this incredible film and talking about Michael Mann. It's just a treat to talk to you. So Maestro, thank you so much um, for being a part of one minute.
1: I wish, I wish my life was more bohemian. (laughs) and <laughs> we'll a hundred episodes just talking about that and then we would have collateral to contend with and then, then the
0: well, and- well we, we did a special series the last 12 minutes of the mohicans just to talk about the ending uh which mr man came on as well which was a real treat but now what's happening is the lure to talk about his incredible films in in lots of different contexts just keeps Keeps uh, scratching, scratching at the door. So you know it's it's something that might might happen in the future. Right now we're on Zodiac. David Fincher's Zodiac Chronicle is what we're up to at the moment. Another, um,
1: that's a miracle movie.
0: A miracle, a miracle.
1: miracle. and I I think that's not only that's a movie that is not only unassailable, but to me is inexplicable. Un, <laughs> again, again, if you gave me every resource in the world and you said go to Zodiac. I, I can. And I, <laughs> I don't think anyone can but Fincher, by the yes. way. No. Yeah. It's, 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 it's that blessed Olympus-sized marriage of material and director that happens uh, once in a lifetime, twice in a lifetime, if you're really lucky. And after that, you're talking about uh, God-level. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this, this is truly, you know... Try to decompose Zodiac into its parts, try to, and then you you, you will be flabbergasted as, as, as how it's sustained purely by faith and courage in the filmmaking. Yes. It's astoundingly uh, difficult to dissect that movie, astoundingly difficult to dissect. Uh, scenes, yesterday we went to see The Shining at the drive-in in LA, Right. And 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 I always every, I'm fascinated by many aspects of this movie, but the, the job, interview, the one job of the, interview.
0: One of the most underrated scenes in cinema history. It's so yeah. and it's the whole movie hinges When you rewatch The Shining as many times as probably you and I have the whole movie hinges on that job interview. Yeah,
1: and everything is there, and of course, people have pointed out the maze and, and Jack Nichols of, this is hot uh,
0: tie
1: and all that, but but everything is there. Everything is there. And that's the scene that I tell you, I, most directors would say, let's make it briefer. Yeah, let's let's move it, on. It's too much. It's, it's two guys talking in an office. Let's make it two minutes. And Kubrick <laughs> says, I'll show you how you do it in an office. And he does it without, uh, he, he doesn't do a, a camera that roams around or, anyway, goodbye, man. I gotta Thank go. You. Thank you. We can, we
0: can have a coffee some other day <laughs> See bye you. bye thank you Hey everybody <laughs> wow Guillermo del Toro on one heat minute on Michael Mann I hope that was as much fun for you guys as it was for me thank you so much for listening please subscribe rate review our show more Zodiac Chronicle coming out at the end of the week three big episodes this month to catch up But I hope you thoroughly enjoyed that surprise as much as I did. My name's Blake Howard. This has been One Heat Minute.